I'm sure, like some of you, I'm fortunate as a teacher, I've been on half term um, this week. So it's been, I'd like to moan because most of my colleagues, friends don't have half term, but it's been a bit of a washout at times, isn't it? It's been, the weather's been pretty rainy. Um, <clears throat> but we're at the stage for me in my family life where um, the, some, the kids are going to college and we're looking at, well, what's the next step for them? So I'm making some decisions. And this week when we've been sitting around the dinner table, uh, my kids said to me, they said, Dad, what is the best decision you've ever made? And I wonder that. I wonder what is the best decision that you have ever made? In fact, what I'd like to do is, is to speak to the person next to you. Ask them, what's, all, you know, what's the best decision you've ever made? Just 30 seconds, have a quick chat with the person next to you. It's, uh, it's a good question, and I'd be interested to hear what um, some people said. Whilst we're sitting around the table, I know... Um, Ella, our youngest daughter, said, was it marrying mummy? I was like, it's a good decision. And then trying to get one up on her siblings, she said, or oh, was it having me? <laughs> I said, I thought about it, I said, actually, oh, in all honesty, I said, the best decision that I made was as a 19-year-old at university choosing to follow Christ. <laughs> oh, that's good, yeah, yeah. I can see a few hands up, some agreement. Yeah, I think for me, that decision then paved the way for some of these other great decisions, like marrying Christy from there. Um, however, there were times after I became a Christian, though, I thought, actually, you know, was that the right decision? See, my expectation of being a Christian was it was going to be like the cherry on the cake, that actually I would be able to flow through life. Previously, I was fairly unconfident growing up, and actually I thought being a Christian would enable me to kind of cruise through life feeling confident in all situations. And so actually, when I went through a period of time of struggling with my mental health, that wasn't part of the plan. I think it felt especially tough because I thought, this is not what I've signed up for. I think one of the amazing things when we come to Christ is that it bestows on us an identity. For some of us, we suddenly realise oh, we are a child of God and God looks at us with real favour. And the Bible then is full of these wonderful promises. But sometimes, and back then, what I couldn't do was marry up the two. I had the promises of God on one hand, but I was experiencing this anxiety. And whilst my mental health is significantly better now, I still find myself occasionally struggling and think, God, where are you? Maybe it's just me? There's a few shakes and nods around there, that's good. So we all have expectations then of what life should be like. And if I was to ask you, what do most people want from life? I wonder what you'd suggest. Again, I want you to have a chat with the person next to you. What do you think most people want from life? Just have a conversation or have a think the person next to you. Okay, that's it, that's your time. So, bringing out the teacher in me, I'm gonna ask you a show of hands. What do you want most from life? I've heard, I'm gonna go for Michael first. What did you say, Michael? Wealth. Wealth, yeah, wealth would be, I think one of those people would say, some people would like money from life. Any other examples around here? Mickey, say again. Love, yeah, love over there. Thomas? Oh, say it again.
Oh, we've got a bit of a, bit of a dialogue going on here. <laughs> well, I'll give you the top five. Thank you for your contributions. Top five then were happiness, money, freedom, peace, and joy. And some of those would definitely associate with a godly life. Peace, joy. It was a joy to worship this morning with the band. It was such a joy. And there are moments, I'm sure, during worship, some of you felt the peace of God on you. So we desire these things. But let's face it, in life, the unexpected often happens. Over recent weeks, then, we've shared baptism stories at King's. And it's always encouraging to hear those stories. But in those stories, quite often, people share some of the, the pain they experience. Life, at times, can feel like it's going to break us. And then as we suffer the unexpected or the unwelcome, it can cause us to disconnect from God and doubt what he has promised. I imagine that you found yourself in situations where you've doubted God and his promises. Perhaps for you, it's an ongoing behavior, pattern or habit. Maybe you've struggled with it for years. Maybe you've prayed, you've prayed, you've not yet had the breakthrough you're expecting. Perhaps it's a loved one or a spouse. You're committed to them, but now you're beginning to doubt the promises that you've made. We live in this imperfect world then. Disasters, accidents, death, they're all things we have to contend with. And so when things don't go the way we expect, it's easy to question, well, where's God in them? My wonderful in-laws have a magnet on their fridge. And it says, as you can see, God is doing far more behind our backs than in front of our face. And I believe that. Yet this living by faith, this waiting on God, is tough. When we're in pain, when our prayers have not been answered, when our expectations have not met, we want God to act swiftly and decisively. Well, the good news is we're not the first people to doubt this, to doubt God. We've been reading through the story of Abraham, who received the most unlikely and amazing promise from God. As we know from the story, God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, that through him all the world would be blessed, that ultimately through his family would come the line of Jesus and that we would all receive salvation. And as we've been reading the story week by week, we'll know the problem with the story so far is that Abraham and Sarai, his wife, are old. They're really old. In fact, too old to have kids. So this week we're in Genesis 17. If you've got your Bibles, please open it. Otherwise, follow along on the screen. So Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. 
No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And so I want to pick out a few lessons from this scripture today. First lesson is going to be is God uses the waiting period. So Abraham, Abraham first received this promise when he was 75 years old. And as we said, the promise seems impossible. And at this point in the story now, in Genesis 17, it's been a further period of 20 plus years of waiting. We've all been there, waiting. Not necessarily for that length of time, but in a period of waiting. Waiting for what we expect to happen. In that waiting period then, Abraham and Sarai have doubted, they've disobeyed, they've made mistakes, they've questioned God, yet still God chose to bless them in spite of this. So at 99 years old then, God reaffirms this promise to them. And significantly, before he fulfills this promise, he changes their names. We had just had dedications a minute ago, and actually Clive mentioned about the power of a name when we're speaking out, when we're stone. And so in this example, God is changing their names. Significantly, then, I think, is he's changing them into people who are ready to receive his promises. Abraham becomes Abraham, father of a multitude. And Sarai is renamed Sarah, which means mother of nations. And so God uses this waiting period to transform them into people who can match the promise. I wonder how has God used the waiting in your life to change and transform your character? I often think of the analogy of, of trees, and sometimes if you've ever planted a tree, you're looking at it to bear fruit. But sometimes we just don't see the roots going on in the soil. There's growth and change happening, but it's hidden under the soil. And so, so much of our lives are like that as well. The other thing is we don't see the full picture. I just want to show you a video clip now. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Okay, so, ha- so, ah, oh, darn it, rehearse that so well. 
How many, how many pastors in the team did White make then? Oh. 13. Okay. You can keep, keep playing though. The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Okay, so hands up, who saw the moonwalking bear going through the middle there? Oh, only a few. The rest of you are thinking, what are you talking about? So, no, I don't believe it. Rory, I think you have to play it again. <laughs> so it's useful to remind ourselves that often we only see what we're focusing on. You know, we've got to remember that in our lives, we are, if you're using the tree analogy, one tree, but we're in a forest of trees. Last week in chapter 16, Andy talked about how God pursued Hagar. And so you remember that Abraham and Sarai at the time had taken matters into their own hands. They'd actually given their servant girl to Abraham to have a child through. And she then had fled because of the result of that. And when she, when she fled, God pursued her and God let her know that she was seen and in the same way for us, God sees us and is invested in our lives. Yet my story, our story, is not the story. The world does not revolve around us. And for Sarah and Abraham, their main focus was on this promise of a son. And actually, they lost sight then of God's bigger plan. The bigger plan wasn't just the promise of Isaac, but the never-ending promise that linked Isaac back to the coming redemption of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's read on chapter 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed at himself and said, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with you for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And so the second lesson I want to bring out of this is that God is still asking for obedience. The promise has been made. We don't earn it but we do have a role to play. Our obedience is necessary. At the beginning of the chapter that we read out, God commanded Abraham to be faithful and to walk blamelessly. The command was to walk before him, to be in step with him. It's our responsibility then to keep walking with God. We must stay relationally connected to God. God's not disappointed by our doubts or by our weaknesses. 
In fact, he encourages us to bring our prayers and petitions to him. Thirdly, time passing does not nullify God's promises. When God speaks something over our lives, we naturally respond with excitement. However, when time passes, we often get despondent. We start to to doubt. We may attempt to plan B or plan C. So when our prayers are answered, we may even put some legs on our prayers. And we see our hopes slipping away. A bit like Abraham, we want to jump in and give God a hand. God is not asking us just to hope in the promise, but to put our hope in him, the promise keeper. In, in Joshua, in the book of Joshua, which we looked at a year or so ago, in Joshua 21, verse 45, it says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. And so when the time was right, God fulfilled his promises to the Israelite people. And many of us here can testify that in the moment, it may have seemed that God was far removed. Our paths seemed unsure and uncertain. However, as we look back, it's, often we can, it's then that we see him working in all circumstances. One of my um, favorite stories is of a missionary uh, called James O'Frazier. And it was in the early 1900s he felt called to abandon a comfortable life in England and to reach a tribal people in China. And his early years in China were marked by struggle. There was no fruit in his ministry and he battled intently with depression. Um, And just like when Abraham was called out by God and he went in faith, you know, James O'Fraser did the same. He went to a land of promise, but he found nothing but a famine amongst the people he was ministering to, called the Lizu people, for those years. He said on his diary um, one Sunday, not a single person at service in the morning. Thoroughly depressed about the state of the work here, I am torn. I seem to have no leading to leave here. My prayer is not so much, Lord, lead me elsewhere, as to, Lord, give me a solid church here. And in his journal, he went on to say, I'm now setting my face like a flint. If the work seems to fail, then pray. If services fail, then pray. As the months slip by with little or no results, then pray more and still get others to help you. And he, was, he commented that actually the way of success for God was a trinity of prayer, faith, and patience. I wonder if we can roll the video about him. James Outram Frazier, boom laden. He gave up a promising career and potential fame. He traveled around the world and lived among them, working alone most of the time. He learned their language, created a writing system, preached the good news, and translated scriptures. But after six years, relatively few people were interested and no church had been formed, even with a tremendous prayer of faith in recent months. And Fraser had an invitation to serve elsewhere. Perhaps this is not God's time. Is it right for me to stay on, waiting and praying, when workers are urgently needed in more fruitful fields, 
What happened to James O. Fraser and the Lee Sioux people will surprise and inspire you. And so he wrote back home in England to a prayer, establish a prayer support group. And he said to them, I'm not asking you just to give help in prayer as a sort of sideline, but I'm trying to roll the main responsibility of this prayer warfare onto you. I want you to take the burden of these people upon your shoulders. I want you to wrestle with God for them. And this prayer group he established took up the challenge and then breakthrough happened. And after years of no encouragement, the floodgates opened and 129 families, which was about 600 people at the time, came to Christ. And today, there are 300,000 Christians among half of the Lizu people. And it's all thanks to the obedience and perseverance of one person. How about an example close to the home? We've been loving getting to know Carl and Chrissy recently. We share a desire to plant a church in the harbour with them. And they both felt God calling them to live and work in the harbour area about a decade ago. However, living as a missional presence is hard work, they can testify. And I love how in an interview Carl described wrestling with God over this decision and saying to God, honestly, it's too big a calling for me and, and my small family. And he said that God's response to him was, actually, it's not too big for my family. And so we're currently in a waiting period at the moment. We're looking to gather a like-hearted team around them to establish a church in the harbour in the new year. But we're still in that waiting at the moment. So, friends, we don't know the full picture, yet we're called to put our hope and faith in the promise-keeping God. Like Abraham, we face challenges that can seem overwhelming at times, and there's not always an easy or foreseeable solution. Every promise, though, that was made to Abraham is realised in Christ. And because of this, the life we now lead is not a lonely walk. We walk hand in hand with a God who shed his blood so that we could freely receive all things. So even when circumstances look impossible, even when you've been praying for years with no breakthrough, today be reminded that God is faithful and is at work in the world around us. And what's our role? Galatians 6, verse 2, says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. As a church family, we get to bear each other's burdens. I encourage you strongly, if you're not part of a life group, get in, get in a life group. Get good godly counsel from people around you. Maybe even get counseling for ongoing issues. Let's, get, let's pray for each other. The Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of the Christian journey of being a race. It's not a Usain Bolt sprint race, though. It's not fast or instantaneous. It's not a three-minute microwave meal, or should I say air fryer meal. Walking with Jesus is a lifelong decision, then, and an ongoing commitment. It's building a rhythm of prayer and reading of scripture and meeting with others who are also attempting to follow Jesus that will help us to walk along this path. 
however slow and however faltering it might seem at times. So Jesus broke bread and shared a meal with his disciples. And in a moment, we're going to break bread with each other, share bread. And what I want us to do is to use this opportunity to pray for each other. You might have circumstances that seem impossible. Let's get alongside each other. Let's pray for each other. You may have had expectations which have not been met or struggles. And I want us to encourage us to use this time to minister to each other this morning. If you want some specific prayer, we're going to have some prayer team along the front over here as well. But in a second, as the band come back up and as we uh, lead into to communion, taking the bread and the wine and juice, let's um, use this as an opportunity to reflect on today's message and to really get alongside each other and, and prayerfully stand and support each other.